the first thing I will say is I have no magic eight ball. I may be blessed with some experience and some time doing this that I think I know what's up. There's always the, you never know what's gonna happen. But the simplest thing ever, which is like, always sounds like a cop out to say, it comes down to story. If it's interesting, if it's intriguing, if the way it's told builds, has an arc, has a catchy way to get you in the midst of it, that's always king. Welcome to the Grounded Content Podcast. I'm your host, Marion Abrams. Today's guest is Zach Kazin. He's the Senior Director of Content Partnerships at Vox Creative. And in this episode, we're going to talk about how he thinks about that role, about content partnerships, and what the difference is between an indie, a hobby content creator, and one who does it professionally. We also talk about what essentially makes great content, whether it's branded, indie, or otherwise. If you're a content creator or content strategist, I think you'll gain a lot from this conversation. Before we jump into this interview, one quick note. I am starting a Grounded Podcast Growth Program. This is a three-month program for seasoned podcasters. You must have at least 10 episodes published to join in. I won't hold up this interview by going into depth, but you can go to groundedcreators.com and find out more. There's a video there. I explain a lot. And of course, message me with any questions. But it starts in January, so don't wait too long. That's groundedcreators.com. All right, now to the interview with Zach. So Zach Kazin, thanks for joining me on Grounded Content today. Zach, your official title is Senior Director of Content Partnerships at Vox Creative. Is that right? That is correct. Yeah, thanks for having me. So a lot of the audience is in the content creation space, and some are working in like a marketing department, some are indie creators, some are more in the content strategy area. But I thought it'd be really interesting to just start by talking about what your day-to-day looks like in that role, because I think for a lot of indie creators, that feels very mysterious. Yeah, for sure. I'm happy to explain. And the short of it, I work at Vox Creative, which is the content studio within Vox Media. What our purpose is, is we connect brands with our audiences. So our audiences being any of the consumers we reach through any of the 13 brands, or as we call them, networks under the Vox Media world, along with our podcast network, which is 200 to 250 podcast shows, plus our digital world and so on. And we connect those brands to the audiences through content, whatever content means today. So that's anything from what you might consider sort of more standard digital branded content. So a a shoppable article or a branded social post or a custom version of one of our eater maps to all the way on the other side of the spectrum, making feature length documentaries for brands, running custom branded editorial sites, building custom podcasts for brands, and sort of everything in between, which includes experiential, custom sponsorships, articles, many explainer videos, and the like. What that means in terms of what I do, like my job is, I like to look at it as sort of like part strategy, part business development, and a lot of relationship management or relationship building. So I'm sort of like the business development arm of Vox Creative, talking to brand-based decision makers, whether it's a brand director, a CMO, or an agency rep of many sorts, and thinking about what do you brand, or if it's a higher level agency person, agency lead, want to do in content? How do we want to utilize content marketing to achieve your goals? And for the most part, I approach that from the lens of, and we say this as sort of Vox Creative as a content studio, is good content is good content. 
Our hope is that everything we create with a brand, for a brand, is entertaining, educational, inspirational, or whatever makes sense for that brand, for a consumer. And that content should be able to sit toe-to-toe with something our editorial networks come out with, another podcast you may listen to, or something else that might be considered entertainment. And from there, we start to think about and triangulate with brands, sort of, why are you doing this? How do we achieve those goals? And what are we looking for? And I brought up my background being relevant is because before this job, I never really worked in what would realistically be called advertising, right? Like branded content, content marketing, all part of some form of brand building. And many parts of that are advertising. I previously, and I say that, and now I'm going to tell you where I worked, previously worked at Red Bull. I was going to say, wait a minute, I thought you worked at Red Bull, which kind of sounds like branded content to me. The difference being is I worked for Red Bull Media House, which is an actual media company within the world of Red Bull. It, of course, serves a marketing purpose, but the approach to a lot of what's going on there when I was there was really thinking about it from a media perspective. So my job there was partnerships that ultimately think about monetizing Red Bull's content, building audiences on different platforms, YouTube, Hulu, potentially licensing stuff to Netflix and so on. And I previously before that, I came from more of a media-centric world. I worked at AOL, I worked at Lionsgate, I had an independent production company. And so I sort of always have thought about it from a lens of brand building and entertainment, but have now stumbled into this place where there is an abundance of money funneling into content from brands. And I look at it as how am I helping those brands achieve whatever their KPIs or goals are as brands, while also channeling that money towards something really interesting in the entertainment or infotainment kind of space. You know, part of what you do, you were saying, is you're thinking about how do you make content that's valuable and interesting to the audience, because that's really how you're going to serve the brand. How did you develop that sense? Like, how do you have that judgment? How do you know what's good? Well, I mean, the current way I can approach that question as if I'm thinking of my Vox Media mindset versus just me personally, it always starts with audience. Like, I have the benefit of access to understanding what our editorial networks are making, what their audiences are consuming, what our insights team is finding through primary research. And it starts there. Like, what do people want to know about? What do people want to watch? So, you know, I'm actually in the process right now of building essentially what is like a forecast for next year's big hitting topics. We know people are going to be talking about the metaverse. So what kind of questions can we ask about the metaverse that are interesting to our consumers? And then in our playbook, if you will, is to then say, we can make explainers about this topic. So like, what does financial security mean in the metaverse is a topic that we can go unpack with any number of brands. And so it starts there. It's all about audience. Personally, I then like, I I honestly try to just like step back and use the barometer of just like human insight all the time of like, is it interesting? Is it entertaining? What's bubbling up to the surface? What do you hear about being talked about in culture? Not everything is going to be squid game level, like, holy shit, everyone's listening or watching. But you start to pick up on trends. You start to see what people are putting out. This happens sometimes now, but remember back in, you know, whatever. This has probably happened for the history of cinema, but there's always like two or three movies that come out that are the exact same thing. You're like, why did Deep Impact and Armageddon come out at the exact same moment? That's not a coincidence. People were talking about those topics. Audiences were intrigued by, I guess, end of the world caused by meteors. And that spurred content, you know? And so it starts there thinking about what's bubbling, what are people interested in, and how does that work? I always think one of the greatest undervalued tools that like a good editor, whether it's for print or for video or whatever has, is just like 
having a kind of a gut sense of when they get bored. Yes. Like when you're bored, you know, it's like time to speed things up or accelerate or make a change. Yeah. It's funny you say that like in the digital space, even more than ever, I find editors to be like our magicians that when you're working in a world where, you know, if it's like a Facebook kind of thing, it's all right, your job is catch somebody in three seconds, make somebody turn the audio on and stay for a few minutes. It's magic that editors have to work there. And that scales and is different in every platform now. So it's, it's really interesting. So, you know, now you're talking about like the multiple platforms and you were saying like, I know Vox, you go from print to digital media. How far into the digital world are you into like NFTs and, you know, metaverse and like, I don't even know what, what's the breadth of content? So I'd say Vox as a company or Vox Media as a company, as opposed to say Vox as one of our brands, has made a lot of calculated decisions about how slowly or quickly we get into different spaces. So by way of example, we were not the first one to say, let's go make an NFT. And that's the good and the bad of your, maybe not the first to take the massive leap and maybe reap the, the benefit of it. But we do dabble in a lot of spaces. I think the one that it's not new, but Vox has really taken a big leadership position in audio and podcasting. And that started really early. The Verge was one of the first podcasts that started to get bigger, that the Verge cast, the flagship podcast for them, Kara Swisher and the original Rico Decode, right, was like a huge deal. And that's just grown and grown and grown. Was that created under you guys or did you acquire that? I think she created that podcast before we acquired what was at the time Rico.net as its, its own property. Actually, I'm trying to remember if she launched it as the All Things D podcast before it became Recode, but I'm not sure. But yeah, that space, we've grown a lot in different directions. And then down to this week, we just announced we acquired Criminal Productions, which is the company that has the namesake podcast Criminal, which is a massive, massive true crime podcast. I mean, yeah, beyond that, in terms of like digital space and where we're going and various things we've done, I wouldn't say that we've done like the most delightfully innovative AR, AI-based content that you could do. If we want to shift gears at some point, I advise a voice tech company that is in that space that I've been talking a lot about lately, but not as much as the core Vox Media side of that. And I think it's interesting that there's probably foundational stuff that you understand about what makes great content that transfers across all the different platforms you know, if you could kind of boil that down to a couple of essentials, what do you think those would be? The first thing I will say is I have no magic eight ball. I may be blessed with some experience and some time doing this that I think I know what's up. There's always the, you never know what's going to happen. But the simplest thing ever, which is like, always sounds like a cop out to say, it comes down to story. If it's interesting, if it's intriguing, if the way it's told builds has an arc, has a catchy way to get you in the midst of it. That's always king. You know, we apply that formula at Vox when we're thinking about explainers. Like from the outside, and of course that word explainer has been used in a million places these days. But the idea is typically not just explain how something works. Like this is not a how-to. What we usually say is like, what we're going to do is take you on an interesting journey that helps you understand the topic that we're asking a question about. I'm just thinking about, you know, in a broader sense, what works and what doesn't and exploring that, you know, and I don't know if it's true of the most popular podcast, but I think like there are podcasts that are driven by story, but there are some that aren't right that are still successful. Yep. And I mean, that's like simple human truths and insights, something that'll make you think be like, oh, I hadn't thought about things like that. 
interesting. I mean, some of this is sort of similar to how when we were talking about even just pitching concepts and how creative strategy works. Like, if you can hook somebody with that aha, where they're like, oh, I hadn't thought about X, Y, or Z. We made a documentary now almost a year and a half ago that was a branded documentary we made with KitchenAid. And the human insight behind that, or actually the statistics behind that even, were about the immense biases that women face in the culinary industry. And you know, statistics like 47% of culinary school graduates are women, but only 6% of head chefs are women. And that immediately, like, you're like, what? And anything like that can get you gripped and thinking, then springboards you into the content. And in that case, like, I could have told you that stat, and the net result from a content standpoint could be what we did, which is sort of a human-based documentary story about three women in three completely different parts of the culinary world. Or it could have been an explainer that dives into those same types of statistics, you know, or it could have been like a ride along expose into a restaurant and all of those things. And it kind of starts with like, what is that gripping hook? That doesn't mean it's like the first shot of the thing or the first sound bite you hear, but that starts to, to make you think about that. So how did that come about? Like with the KitchenAid example, I love that because I think when somebody's new to this space, they hear, okay, KitchenAid wants to make branded content. And immediately it's like, oh, it'd be recipes or it would be. So when you have an idea like that, did you have that idea and then say like, who would be the perfect brand? Or do you find the brand and then say like, okay, we need to brainstorm? What's that process like? Generally speaking, we go in both directions. In that case, that came from the brands and a lot of props to the team over at Digitas that had done a lot of work with them to think about what spaces they can be in. And in general, I find this to be really fascinating and useful for somebody in my shoes as a content strategist or you know concept ideator, if you will. You get a lot of insight and inspiration from brand values and brand goals. Like, I mean, the way we met, right, through a brand strategy course, you start to think about you're a brand director or a CMO, and your job is to think about how we're going to differentiate ourselves. And some of that is creating North Stars and pivot points for like, what does your brand stand for? And if a brand is going to come to us as content creators and say, what makes us go is fueling inspiration for underrepresented entrepreneurs. Let's imagine it's a financial services company or a SaaS business or whatever it is. That immediately makes you start thinking, okay, where can you go with that? And you start diving into like, what is the life of an underrepresented entrepreneur? What are the challenges that they face? What are ultimately you drive down to their stories? And that's where you start pulling out like, okay, there's interesting content to be made there. And so your, your question about if you think about a brand like KitchenAid and you think recipes, right? Some of that comes in like, what is also the purpose of the content? When you're working with brands, and again, this applies to non-branded content as well, but you start to think about this, and I'll say this in marketing terms, is like where on the marketing funnel or where in that sort of hierarchy is it sitting? Is it about building brand, connecting with consumers and making people think about the world around them? In that case, you're doing higher level storytelling. That's when you tell the story of a woman who's a butcher in London by way of creating association for a brand. If the goal is sell KitchenAid mixers, you make recipes about cookies or whatever it may be. And I think that actually also helps with the creative process. Again, this is with brands. And if you're starting with Brand Insight, going to the fully the other side of 
things where you mentioned or asked about if we're coming up with things. We also do that where we're starting with what do we know about our audiences? What are our editors telling us or what are they spotting? And we're saying, okay, cool. We know that, for example, sustainability, huge topic. What is Vox doing in that space? What is New York Mag and David Wallace Wells, who's like one of the biggest writers and journalists in the space? What is he talking about? What is he seeing? By way of example, there's an article he wrote that was about not climate solutions, but about climate management. And his thesis of this article, which is terrifying and also has a little bit of hope to it, is like, we passed the point of solving climate change. We're into a place of thinking about how do we manage it? How do we live with it? Because it's our reality. So how do we go there? So, right, we have that kind of insight. And then we say, okay, so what can we do with this? How do we turn this into concept formats in our space where I'm at work? Ultimately, we're trying to go to brands and get things funded. So we're thinking with a little bit of a twitch of what is palatable for a brand. I can't feasibly come up with a concept that's like entirely about doom and gloom, even if that's reality, because no brand wants to fully associate with that. But I could say, hey, let's make a climate management handbook that is 101 simple steps that you can take as an individual to make a difference on the world. And I could go to X, Y, or Z brand and say, will you make this with us? And how would you put your spin on it if you're in X, Y, or Z industry? And how would that come to life? And then there's the other axis, which is the audience. Because the other place I would have thought you might go is, okay, here's KitchenAid. Here's who they want to reach. What are those people want to hear about? Right? What are their interests? Totally. Having the benefit of the research team, I can ask, can you go run a survey with their audience? And then I can directly find out what they're interested in hearing about. It's like a cheat code, if you will, in the scheme of coming up with content. But of course, as any individual creator, you can glean some of those insights. It takes doing research yourself, but even just looking at whether it's Google Trends or reading a number of publications and that kind of thing of just understanding like what is bubbling to the surface. What's tricky is, of course, this is the then, and you can do research based on right now. By the time you're making something and when it comes out in the world, that's also, you know, that gap is having a little bit of the intangible thought of what's going to continually be relevant or what's building now that's going to peak then, that kind of thing. Although if you're a small scale indie, you might have a really quick turnaround time. So you might be able to get the jump totally. on on what's now. Yes, 100%. Yeah. Have you ever had a brand come to you about branded content for later in the customer journey? I don't think of a use case where that was the only ask, but we've done it where it plays into the ask. Like we made a piece of content for Volvo, the car brand, that is sort of like a, let's call it like a tongue-in-cheek electric vehicle driver's handbook. And yes, it can work in the sort of purchase journey too. But it's also one of those things that like, okay, you just bought an electric car and there are things about this car that drive differently. And there are elements of it that you're not used to yet. And that's a little bit later in the value chain. We also have done a few things where we're essentially running either blogs, websites, or making content that's like fueling an entire YouTube channel for brands. And that then starts to play on, you're a consumer of our brand, how are you building retention? There's a running brand that we're working with right now that we're making a lot of content for them for a digital platform. And part of that content is running tips and tricks or gear know-how. And like those fill different points in the value chain. So like what's the right gear is moving towards purchase and pre-purchase, but running tips and tricks is a little bit more towards you've bought this gear. 
what are you going to do with it, right? That kind of thing. You know, the work that I do for Spartan with their podcast, I think one of the things people don't think about is that that's actually after you race, you want to stay engaged with the brand, you want to stay motivated and keep training and come back for the next one, that it can actually serve not only as kind of, you know, brand depth, but also like this post-purchase kind of relationship building. But I guess by default, that's such a smaller audience, unless you're a really big brand, you know, unless you're like Procter & Gamble or something where everybody's, you know, your customer. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. So one of the things we talk about a lot is ethics. Where are these lines between persuasion and manipulation? And how do you see those lines when you're making branded content in terms of, you know, transparency, in terms of content, in terms of relationships? I'm sure it's something you've given a lot of thought to. Yeah. I mean, some of it's done for us, if you will, by way of our friends at the FTC, where there are requirements there. So part of like keeping it clear for consumers is required disclosures. I think more to the point is when we think about this space of like branded entertainment or brand funded entertainment, right? Where it's, it really is storytelling. It's not product first, it's brand first, where the line is really thin between what is simply a good story funded by a brand and where are we infusing a little bit of brand messaging? And then I guess at the other side of the line is where are we towing the line of kind of getting in the zone of what our editorial networks? Because ultimately we distribute our content or much of our content on their channels, like through a Vox.com or Vox's YouTube channel. And even with a disclosure, we need to be careful that we're not stepping on their toes or confusing the consumers outside of causing consumer confusion or towing a legal line, my sort of gut feel of this comes back to sort of like, what are we making? Is it valuable in society? Is it interesting to a community, be it a small one or a very large one? And you know, how are we making sure we do that in a way that's taking into account a number of factors? I think one really important thing that's a huge focus for us is just thinking about how much content equals representation. And I don't know if I would definitively call this ethics or just sort of like being a a good member of society. Like we've put a lot of thought into the fact that not only are we making content, not only making content with brands, we have a ton of money fueling into this content. Everything we put out into the world has an impact on someone, something, some system. And whether it's the person who made it, who wrote it, who created the tone of it, or the person in front of the camera, that makes a difference. And that plays a role in how we think about what's going on and what's going out there. And I have said this to a number of my colleagues on various occasions, that it's sometimes the small things we don't even realize that we've done that have made a massive impact. One of my colleagues, a guy who's our post soup, shared a story recently internally through like our team Slack channel that a family member of his sent him a message one day with a video and said, this video is so cool. It's showing people like me. It's so awesome. You should do more work like this, not knowing it was our work. And he shared it with us. And it was just like, this is amazing. And it was simply the fact that the people we featured were people of color in a circumstance that wasn't typecast in any way, shape or form. It wasn't a stereotype. And like my colleagues, I forget if it was his family member or a good friend, just saw themselves in it. And that's that's huge. You know, that brings you back down to earth. Like this is what you're doing. And like you say, it's so easy to discount that. I mean, we sit in an interesting like value chain space, like where 
the money is flowing through a media agency from a brand. So we're at the end there in many ways. And depending on the flow of business, of course, we're inclined to say yes to a number of things. But we've, I think, done a really good job of figuring out the lines that we can set and when we can say no and we can push back. And we're super fortunate that other than this, really the first four to six months of the pandemic, like our business has been really doing great. And it gives you the power to say no. It gives you the power to stand by your morals, your ethics, your grounding nature of what it is that you want to stand for. And it's really important. And honestly, in in my case, we have a really great team who, for the most part, and I can't speak for everyone, of course, really values the culture of Vox Media. And it makes such a difference when you work in an environment like that. And it goes into the work. If you can stay true to the morals and values that you hold dear, not only do you not feel like you're acquiescing and you start not caring about the work, but also it's very likely that the things you care about are going to come through in the content and make the content better. Yeah, I think that's a great way to think about it. And it's one of these things that what I realized was working with a lot of clients in the early days who were kind of new to the power that marketing or content or even like paid social had is they would walk in the door being sort of very much resistant and saying like, you know, thinking that advertising was all baloney. But as soon as they saw the power, they would go way past the line because they had never thought about this stuff in advance. And I feel like it's such an important thing to just talk about before you get too far into it. So what do you think is different When you meet someone who's an amateur in a content creating world, what do you think is the difference? What differentiates a pro from an amateur? I think a lot of it has to do with understanding the realities of what works and what sells. And those two things are inextricably linked. Where great ideas or good ideas are a plenty. Very good ideas that land take a lot of non-creative work. Whether it's logistics, operations, what goes into producing, that kind of stuff. And so that is not a knock on people who are just creators, but I think the difference of somebody who's like truly a pro is they understand all of the other elements that are beyond the creative, whether they are personally the ones who are like, I got this, I can do it all, or saying, I'm not good at booking talent. I need somebody to help me do that. I can make that talent sing on camera, but I don't know how to book them or I don't care to book them, or I don't want to deal with a contract. That stuff is just an understanding of the whole equation of what goes into creating something. I think that's a big distinguishing factor. Now, with that said, I think one of the things that while there are differences between, say, somebody who's like a pro and an amateur, somebody who's got zero experience, come up with the most creative thing ever, and it can pop. And that's like, honestly, in a digital first, social platform first world, Sometimes that is the key to breaking out. Like there are many, many success stories, not just sort of the people who have become creatives themselves on camera, but like people who are now in creative director roles or writer roles or wherever it is, who started themselves doing everything themselves, who did not know much about the business and so on and so forth. I have actually a a very good friend who started as an independent creator himself, totally would say he doesn't know every facet of all the business, but he's learned a ton of it. He's now a writer on Ted Lasso. And that's not even where he was aiming to go, but that's where he landed. And that kind of stuff is just fantastic and fascinating to me. Yeah, I love that. That's a great story. So I just came back from like a a women's podcasting conference. Most of the people there were small scale indie podcasters with big dreams. 
And they probably hear your name or they hear your position and they think like, wow, that's like someday maybe. How do you think somebody like that should look at building their business? What's your advice for somebody like that? It's really easy to try to do too many things at once, whether that's too many concepts or too many angles or directions or try to do seven formats at once or build out six partnerships before you get going. Figure out what the thing is. Like if it's about nailing your first creative concept, if you can't tell me what it is in a log line or like a couple sentences, it's not going to work. Or sorry, I would never say it's not going to work because shit happens (laughs) and things work. But like be able to explain it quickly and succinctly. And the other thing is think about what you're making and where it's going. And honestly, if you can start at the end, if you're making content for YouTube, understand the mechanics of YouTube. Understand that whatever 45, 47% of views come through suggested video. And what does that mean? If you're making content for podcasts or an audio world, look at the landscape of what kind of podcasts break out. Look at the scale and speed and how much the space is getting crowded and double check if there are 15 podcasts that have the exact same concept as you. And that list can go on and on and on. But I just look at that as like a very simple, like what works on where it's going, where are you going with something? And if you are going into multiple places, think about whether you have the ability to make something that is different for those platforms, because not everything works in the same place. And I guess the last thing I will say, this is like another one of those sort of realities of especially digital. There's a lot of gamification and arbitrage that goes on to create success. And that phrase like fake it until you make it doesn't just apply to like showing up with confidence. It can also apply to like building an audience through buying a thousand Instagram followers. There's no shame in that. That happens. It's not illegal. That's what goes down. Like you got to do it. There's a reason why branded content often has a shit ton of reach. There's a lot of money behind it. And you know, that some of that is also part of the equation and that doesn't always mean you have to have a ton of money, but like knowing how the mechanics of audience platforms work is also important. And it's always sort of a calculated strategy. There's no perfect equation of this much money into this part or that part, or this perfect creative idea is alone going to make the thing successful. And that's the intangible that's always tricky and somewhat annoying if you're trying to give advice where it's, there isn't a perfect answer. It's that blend of art and science that you're just trying to figure out each time. And, you know, by all means, from everything I've worked on, whether it's here at Box Media or my previous jobs, I've had concepts that we've pitched that sounded awesome that didn't sell. I've had things that we've sold that we've made that have not done that well. We've had things that we've not thought were going to be amazing and keep giving and they're amazing and all that kind of stuff. You know, it happens and that's the fun of it and the excitement of it. And I guess a little bit of why content, even as a business, is enticing to so many people. Thanks for listening. Do you have a burning question about content creation or content strategy you'd like us to address here on the Grounded Content Podcast? If you do, let me know. And if you want to find out more about my podcast growth program starting in January, go to groundedcreators.com and you can find out more. Of course, all my information is available at madmotion.com. Just poke around, click on Grow Your Podcast, click on Grounded Content, and you'll be able to find episodes, information on the programs, and pretty much anything else. I love hearing from you, and thank you for the messages I've been getting recently. All right, I'll see you next time.